free thoughts that I get. The uh, second song we sang, I Need You More, has is, is been one of my favorites for a long time, but if you put it in the context of what the Lord is saying to us, he says, I want you more. And that's a hard concept for us to understand. Because why would the Lord want us? And that's one reason that we've really been talking about Jesus as being the Son of Man. Because he didn't have to become the Son of Man. He could have just stayed in heaven and ruled from there. But he wanted us so much, he became the Son of Man. And he came down, and he taught us, and he, and he taught us through the parables. And it's been interesting as I, as I read through some of these parables, and I'm going to look at two of them today, that there is so much, so much in them that we have also become sort of... I've read that one before, and I know what it says. And it becomes kind of everyday to us. And we do not continue to, to look at them. And if, if we would understand that Jesus came from heaven as a man to sit down alongside of us and teach us as a man on how to be human, because that's what God created us to be, to be human and to have a relationship with him. And all the parables do are what's in this. Jesus comes and teaches us in parables, and he tries to change our perspective. He doesn't force us to change our perspective. He tries to change our perspective. So our perception is different. Our beliefs change. Our experiences change, and then our reality changes. And that's the whole point of Jesus coming down. It's Again, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's, you don't have to go to a seminary to, to understand these. But you have to spend a little time and, and think about them. And Jesus doesn't say you have to get it dressed up in your finest clothes and come and do this and do that and present yourself before me and I will, I will teach you. He came and just sat down with the multitude. The ones that liked him, the ones that didn't like him, the ones that loved him, the ones that hated him. You know, the good, the bad, and the smelly. He was with, he was with all of them. He stayed with all of them. He came and stayed in their houses because the whole time he is trying to change your perspective of what the father was saying about his children. Because they have been under the law for so long that the law had become ingrained in them. And, you know, we, we look at that, we go, boy, those Pharisees and the Sadducees, you know, and, you know, they just really didn't have it. Well, you know, we're in the same boat in a lot of respects today. We struggle with church religiosity and doctrine. We struggle with verses being taken out of to read two lines and build a doctrine around it. And Jesus came 
And he just said, I want you to understand who the Father and I and the Holy Spirit say you are, that I want you more than you need me. I'm desirous for you, but I will not, I will not force you into a relationship. He came to change our perception, our perspective, our belief that we may experience him and make him our reality in our lives. And we're still trying to do that today. So with that, let's turn to Luke 16. I'm going to start in verse 19. And this is, I won't say parable, but there's some people that argue this isn't a parable. This is a reality that Jesus had seen. And as I read it, put it into context that way. And I'll give a few more examples later on why I say that. But Let's read it first and then, then we'll discuss through it. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received the good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is in comfort here, and you are in agony. And, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to come from here to you, to you cannot, nor can they cross over from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they may not also come to the place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, But if, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Okay, we've all heard that, and we all have our connotations of, of what he was talking about. But one thing you've really got to understand is you've got to put it in context of all the scripture that is related to it. And the scripture just before that, you, you can see that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to a large crowd, but he's directing his talk to the Pharisees. And he has just finished the parable about a shrewd manager and about 
loving mammon. You can't have two masters. You can't love money and love God. Directed directly at the Pharisees. And I want to pick up just a little bit of reading here so we can get a context of going into the rich man and Lazarus. So let's go back to 16, verse 14. Let's start in verse 13. And Jesus ends the parable by saying, No servant can serve two masters, either you hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus and said to them, He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Got some comments about those as we set up for the, the other thing. Again, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. You also notice that the Pharisees were sneering at him. Where last week I, I talked about, you know, we all had this perception that everybody was just, you know, you couldn't get a ticket to go see Jesus. Everybody wanted to see him because he was so great. You know, most of the people probably were there to mock, to sneer. There were a few that wanted to follow him. And later on you saw when the time of crucifixion that met, or some of his teachings, many just fell away. The Pharisees had a great love of money and, and the love for attention. They, they liked people to see them. Jesus says, you are the ones that justify yourselves. We all kind of sometimes fall into that, that habit of justifying what we've done. When we've done something that's wrong, we go, well, you you don't know what happened to me. Or, well, you know, you don't know this other person. You don't know the circumstances. But Jesus is the one who justifies. And he says, God has other values than your values. So all this is addressed towards the Pharisees. All this is addressed towards them for, for their teaching and for the way they have handled the law. And the way they have pushed the people in the, in the law. And, and that the law is, is, he makes the statement, the law is not going to pass away. The law is alive today. It is still here. You can live by the law. And when you start talking to somebody about grace, you know, they'll say, well, I believe in grace, but I also believe in this, this, and this. They have a dual personality, which doesn't quite stack up against Scripture. But a lot of people like the law because they feel that if if I can keep a little bit of the law, I can be okay. If I can do some of the things that the law tells me to do, I'm all right. It also gives you a great measuring stick against the person next to you. 
where you can say, well, see, they did this and I didn't do that, so I'm okay. It's not my mine, it's theirs. And it makes them feel better about themselves. And really, that's what the Pharisees were, were doing. They were, they were stacking themselves up against the everyday man and saying, see how wonderful I am and how great I have done. And I am the keeper of the law. But verse 18, this verse has been thrown at the church so much. It has been beaten into people's heads. It says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And a man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Yep, that's what it says. And it has been used in the church you know, I know God's not pleased with divorce. He's not pleased with lying, stealing, covetousness, lust, murder. He's not pleased with any of those things. But in this context, if you if you read this and and you know it's all been it's been thrown at people for over hundreds of thousands of years. Because you're somewhere less if you have become a divorced person. You have no status. But Jesus is using it in the context of the law. Because I'm sure the Pharisees were divorcing their wives and finding more suitable young women in their time. And he was just reminding them about the law that you think you're perfect. Well, I know your hearts. I know what's inside you. And he says, I know you're committing adultery. And the woman you're with now is an adulteress and you are an adulterer. Because you live by the law and not by grace. See, Jesus was trying to change the perspective from law to grace. And so he he says, you want to live by the law? You think you're good by the law? You're adulterers. Remember the woman who was called in adultery and they all came and ran and wanted to stone her and what does he do? He looks at them all because he knew what was in everyone's heart. She knew a lot of the faces that were holding the stones. So let's put this rich man and Lazarus in context. This is directed at the Pharisees. It is directed at the law of the time. And like I said, there's there's some commentaries that is this a parable or is this a reality that Jesus had seen? Now Jesus, we knew who he was. He could have seen this. If this was a parable, it's the only parable where Jesus names a person. No other parable does he give a name of a person. This is the only one, he says, Lazarus. And this was not Lazarus's friend, but this was another man named Lazarus. So it's, it's the only time in Scripture where he names it. You notice, and I, th- I think there was other purposes in here too that we can take out of this that we, we don't realize from before, but you notice Lazarus is taken by the angels to Abraham. Now, that was either called paradise or the bosom of Abraham. And in Jewish tradition, that was the place where the Jews waited for the final judgment. We call it heaven. 
So the poor man who had nothing but dogs licking at his wounds and, and no gifts was taken to heaven by angels. You know, the, the rich man who had everything on the earth, who prized himself in his fine purple wear, which connotes royalty and status and symbol, he went to hell. Nobody took him there. He went on his own. He made that decision. See, the riches in life don't get you riches in heaven. You get nothing out of that. It's nice to have riches in life. My flesh says, yes, it is. But it doesn't get you anywhere in heaven. So Jesus is saying, you know, I know what's in your heart. I, I know what you, what you think and what you believe. And just because you're a Pharisee and you're rich and you can do what you think you want to do, it's not going to get you into heaven. Because this poor beggar that laid under your table that you basically totally ignored, and it says that he even laid at the gate of the Pharisee. So this Pharisee was very prominent. And the dogs licked his wounds, and, the, and he did nothing to help him. But in the eyes of God, he was elevated to the position of being with Abraham. Now, in his torment, he, he wanted, kind of funny, after having the poor man lay under your table and you don't do anything for him, that you ask to have him allowed to bring a drip of water off the tip of your finger to put on your tongue because you're being tormented so badly in, in hell. And there's a number of people believe, no, there is no, there is no hell, that everyone's going to go to heaven God's going to save everyone because if he loves us so much, how could he let us go to hell? It's awful hard to read this and say, no, there is no hell. See, God didn't send the man to hell. He brought the one to heaven, but he did not send the man to hell. And Abraham said no. He says, there, there is a chasm between us that you can't cross and we can't cross. That chasm is, is, is still there. But Jesus is the one that can cross it. He went into hell and he brought the captives out. He saved, he saved mankind. They don't have to go there. But in this parable, the rich man says, okay, if you don't bring me a drip of water for my tongue, would you please go to my father's house and tell my five brothers what is going on? I found it interesting that it was five brothers because five is the number of grace. In the Hebrew, five means grace. The man in torment was asking, extend grace to my brothers. Give them grace so they don't have to come here. And Abraham answered and he said, you've chosen to live by the law. You've chosen what, what you choose to believe. Even if a dead man rises from the dead, your perspective 
will not change. Your perception will not change. Your belief will not change. And your experience will not change. And your reality will be hell. He says, we can't do that. I cannot change that. They've chosen, as you did, to live by the law and not by grace. That is your choice and your brother's choice. And I cannot do that. It would make no difference. And you see that in reality when, when Jesus died at the cross. The perspective of a lot of people never did change and rose from the dead and appeared to many over a period of many days. It still hasn't changed. Their perspective is still stuck in the law. On what do I have today? What can I get today? Who can I do this to that I can get more today? But the reality is you need grace. And the only one to give it to you is Christ. So what do you, what do you get out of this? And again, I say if it's actually a, a parable or if it's not a true story that Jesus shared. God justifies you by grace because he knows your heart and he knows everything about you and he offers you grace. And if you change your perspective, your reality will change if you accept his grace and that you can live in that grace and you can receive the benefits of that grace. And the trouble is, we still go back to the law, even when we think about that. Because when we think about, well, if I'm in God's grace, I'm going to have everything. I'm going to give $100 and get $1,000 back. We have taken grace and we have just butchered it in many respects. How much grace somebody hasn't measured by their outward appearance or what they look like or what they have. See, the man laying on the, the table with the dogs licking him and being thirsty and hungry abounded in grace. And that's where he ended up, with the father. And the rich man who had everything, including obviously a, a new wife, many of the Pharisees with new wives, didn't have grace. So it wasn't the outward. It wasn't what they have obtained is what God knew was in their hearts. Let's turn to uh, Luke 18, parable of the persistent widow. And I don't have a, a whole lot to talk about this one because this one I didn't find as much in it, but again, Jesus is, is talking about this, the same things. He's talking about faith and believing him and believing in who he said he was. Let's start in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now here Jesus is talking directly just to his disciples. He's trying to change their perspective. You need to keep praying. You need to hang in there. Because I'm sure their perspective was being bombarded by what they saw every day. 
Verse 2, he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she would eventually wear, wouldn't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said to his disciples, Listen to the unjust judge says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I remember reading this years ago, and the first thing that struck me was the judge was God. That was my perception. The judge was God. And man, if you want something, you better be on your knees, pounding your chest. Better get some of those crocodile tears flowing and say, I need it, I need it, I need it. And God's just waiting for that time when you just, I need you more than my heart can say. I need you, I need you, I need you. And when you finally get to that point where, yeah, I guess he needs me, God will grant your wish. Because he has gotten sick and tired of listening to you. That was really my perception. That's why I, I, I didn't, you know, groups of people who are prayer warriors, you know, who go and war against the heavenlies and stuff. But if I had actually read that and understood grace, I would see that, that is not my father. My father is quick to hear my prayers and he is quick to answer. He is loving and kind and he, he cares about what's going on. He's not somebody who manipulates me or may even look at it as a politician today. Whoever screams the loudest gets the squeaky wheel, gets the oil. It does teach us we must be persistent in prayer. But see, I see persistence as prayer as constantly talking to the Father. It changes my perspective when I talk to the Father. And I go through that whole category and my reality changes when I talk to the Father. It's not that I get down on my knees and... I'll be honest with you. I don't think God cares if I'm walking through a lovely day like today down the sidewalk and talking to Him or... I'm face down and weeping and crying and pounding. He wants me more than I want him. He wants a relationship with me. And if I just continue to talk with him and be with him, my reality will change. The way I talk, the way I act, the way I see things will change. Because Jesus is concerned he cares for me. 
as a man, the son of man, he came, he gave up everything because of his deep concern with for me. If he had just come as the son of God and demonstrated everything, well, a lot of people still wouldn't have believed him. But we couldn't have related to him. You know, it's like in the Marvel comic books. Thor comes from Asgard and walks on the earth. Well, what's that to me? You know, I don't have a magic hammer. I don't have great strength in eternal life. I can't relate to it. But Jesus, who gave up his divinity for a moment, and then took us back, took us with him, as the Son of Man took us through the death and resurrection and seated with God as the Son of Man. And here it says, he finishes up, he says, when the Son of Man comes, See, he's still the Son of Man in heaven. And when he comes again, will he find faith? I know Jesus knows what the future was. He will find faith. But he was concerned. He wanted to let the people know, I'm concerned about your faith. I'm concerned about the way you look at things and the way you deal with things. The judge is good. The judge is going to answer your prayers. But if you have no faith, if you look at what's going on around you and just throw yourself and go, nobody cares. Nobody loves me. I might as well, I'm a worm. I might as well shrivel up and die. I've lived many years like that. Many years like that. And I just want to end this in a book I'm sure you all read uh, this morning, you know, before you came here, Habakkuk. There's a couple of places in Habakkuk, because the first thing you notice is uh, Habakkuk, who you think about goes, he's just a minor prophet. You've heard him called minor prophets. Somebody who talks to God on a regular basis, I never quite considered to be minor. And that God called a prophet and actually talked to him back and forth in the Old Testament. So he wasn't minor. But you, you notice how Habakkuk deals with God? He complains to him. God doesn't care that you complain to him. God cares if you talk to him. Because he can handle your complaint. He's the best complaint department there is. And he can take care of every one of your needs. You want a refund? You want to be redeemed? Go to him. But Habakkuk says a couple of a couple of things in here. Chapter three. He says in chapter three, and I've always well, I'll read it then, I'll explain why this has always stuck in my head. Verse two, he says, Lord, I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I always had that screwed up. See, I always dreamed that, or thought, that God was always constant in wrath at Craig. 
he had great wrath because of what I had done and what I had said and what I had acted like and who I was. And I always thought, oh, there's my prayer. Oh, remember me. Come on back again. Come on. I need you. I need you more. But you know that prayer was answered 2,000 years ago. I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. I know what you did before. Renew them. And God sends his son. Not in wrath, but in grace. And Habakkuk, as he, as he complains to the Lord, and, and one thing he actually does is he sits down and he takes time to listen to what the Lord has said back to him. How many times do you complain to somebody or question somebody and don't take time to listen to what they say? We've been conditioned that when we go up against somebody, we don't want to hear what they have to say. We don't have time for what they say. And we totally disagree with what they say. But Habakkuk said, tell me, explain to me. I want to know. See, conversations two ways. Too many people in their prayer life, it's a, it's a one way. It's a, here's my checklist. If, if you remember that, oh Lord, won't you give me a color TV? Yeah, Janice Joplin. You know, we... <laughs> you know, that's and that's and that's the way, we, you know, a lot of us pray. And we, and we come down on ourselves if we think we're praying wrong. But how do you have conversation wrong? You sit and you talk. And you don't always agree. Habakkuk had complaints. Why aren't you doing this, God? All these people are doing this stuff to us and you're not doing anything about it. Don't you see what they're doing to your people? Oh my goodness. But he listened. And he came to this wonderful conclusion and that's where I'll conclude today. It's in chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no grape on the vine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. That is the right attitude in prayer. That is the faith that God will find in the last days when he returns as the Son of Man. See, we struggle so much because we say, I don't see it, God. I don't see it. But if you had faith, you know, it, it is not based on how much cattle you have, how much wine you have, how much food you have. Those things will be given to you if you seek him first. And if you rejoice in him. And remember that he wants you more than you need him. Habakkuk got it right at the end. He complained. He wasn't shot down by lightning. But he understood his faithful father. See, God, in his words to him, changed his perspective. 
and his reality changed also. Because he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the feet of deers. He enables me to go on the heights. His reality changed. He was able to go into the high places. 